Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this message from Jesus, we pray for understanding as to what this has to do with us here today as we desire to live in relationship with you and with each other. So guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our uh, series that we've been wrestling with over the last few weeks where we are considering the newborn Christian church back in Acts chapter 2 and trying to interpret what the implications for what was happening there in that newborn church for us here today, uh, church, Church of the Avon Hope, that is trying to exist in community with each other and with God. And so uh, if you've been part of that uh, journey, this journey over the last few weeks, you know that we have focused on verse 42, uh, which says that the newborn church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then we're told that everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles within the church. Now, if you want to get caught up on the series, you can go to avonhope.org, where we have our podcast, and we're working on getting caught up, because we were a little bit behind on that. So if you've gone there recently and haven't found anything, we're working on that. Anyway, you can go to the podcast, you can get caught up. We've talked already about the apostles' teaching. We talked about the fellowship and the church's devotion to fellowshipping together. We talked last week about breaking bread, about eating together, and how essential that was for the newborn church. And so today we're looking at the final element that's described there in Acts chapter 2, the subject of a prayer. And so this idea that the church was devoted to these four elements uh, helps us to understand what effort we should take when we think about the same elements in our context here today at Church of the Avon Hope. Now, uh, there are many different ways to, to pray, uh, many different models actually expressed throughout the Bible narrative. In fact, there are, many, um, there are several different models even given by Jesus himself, but it's interesting that our text of emphasis today, Jesus is giving specifically a model that was designed for his disciples. The the model that we read is often called the Lord's Prayer. It might be better called the, the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus was giving it to the disciples for them to use, not as something that they just repeat mindlessly, uh, but as an outline for how to, how to pray. And so we actually have the outline on our screen for us today. We can see that there are six requests in this Disciples' Prayer that Jesus has given us in Matthew chapter 6. By the way, there is a companion version of this found in the book of Luke, and so Matthew and Luke both have this model prayer. And so in Matthew, we see that it has six requests. So, uh, hallowed be your name. This is about God's name, obviously, God's kingdom, your kingdom come, God's will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is the, 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 the prayer is just affirming that, that we want to be a part of what's happening and what God is doing, so we're asking for his name to be hallowed, his kingdom come, and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so then the, the second three elements of this Jesus prayer model are about 
the needs of the community. And it's important to note that this prayer was given in the context of being used communally as a community. Our, our, this is obviously a plural context, so that our needs would be met. Give us this day our daily bread that our, about our sins is the fifth request. Forgive us our, Matthew actually says debts. Luke clarifies by actually using the, the term sins. Forgive us our debts or sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. By the way, Jesus, of, of all six of these, Jesus comes back to this one in 13 and 14 to emphasize how important it is that our relationship with others uh, be clarified so that it helps enable our relationship with God. He's like, you can ask for, for your sins to be forgiven, but if you aren't forgiving someone else, that's going to affect your ability to receive forgiveness. So forgive us our debts, our sins, as we also forgive uh, our debtors. And then finally, uh, lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we're just going to leave this a model prayer. Again, this was not designed, even though the church has come into the habit of doing this, of, re- of reciting this as a prayer that's to be recited. This was supposed to be an outline so that you use these elements to craft your own uh, prayer, not just to recite words that Jesus himself has spoken. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but that was not the original or, or intent or uh, purpose. Now, uh, so we've got this model, again, one of many models, but we want to kind of keep this in mind as we back up a little bit and look more generally at the entire idea of uh, prayer. And so I think in that context, it's helpful to consider one of the uh, great theological issues or debates, you might say, in uh, Christianity that has taken shape since the time of Jesus himself and that newborn uh, church. And so the debate is uh, defined by the difference of two distinct ideas. Uh, Firstly, there is the idea that uh, God has granted his creation, or his kids, if you will, Uh, that's, that's us, that's humans, He's granted us free will, uh, that God has enabled every human being with the capability of choice, of making decisions for ourselves and acting on those decisions. So uh, that's free will. That's one side of this great theological debate. There is a second side to this, and in fact, in in much of Christianity, this is actually, you make the case this is the more uh, popular or or more well-accepted idea, and that is that the idea of determinism, which means that God has determined how everything is going to turn out and that uh, we are kind of players in, this, in this, uh, this drama, but ultimately God is responsible for everything that happens and uh, we don't really have much free will. There are nuances in this, but we don't really have uh, free will per se. God is ultimately going to do what he's going to do and uh, we're, we're just part of, the, part of the process. Some people are... Are, are rescued in the end. Some people are lost. Terrible things happen. Good things happen. God is ultimately responsible for everything. And so there's these two uh, great ideas that have been wrestled with through the uh, ages. Now, the determinists arrive at this conclusion because of this strong uh, belief that God is sovereign. Now, I would suggest you both free willists and determinists believe in the sovereignty of God, that God has ultimate uh, power, that God can do whatever God uh, wants to do. God is capable of doing everything. And so for the determinist, that element of sovereignty means that God must be making all the decisions all the time. And that's the only way that he remains 
uh, completely sovereign. So this debate has, has raged through the, through the ages. Um, now, these have uh, practical implications for a personal's, person's prayer life. Uh, if God has already uh, predetermined what is going to happen across the boards in everything, then uh, prayer could very easily become just a, a practice of affirming what God is already going to do and, uh, and not lead to very much more because you're really just saying, like, God, you're going to do what you're going to do and, um, and so be it. I want to be on board with that, but even that is just kind of an affirmation of something that you really didn't have a, a choice over. Now, you probably have guessed by now that I am a, a free willer. And uh, historically, historically, the Adventist tradition uh, of, of which community you're, you're celebrating the Sabbath in today has been a, a free will community. Strong belief that God is sovereign. He has ultimate power, but he chooses to give us the ability to exercise our, our uh, free will. So I'm coming at our discussion today in the context of being a, a, free, a free willer. Uh, free will implies that God has, yes, absolute sovereignty, but has chosen to limit himself to boundaries that he has made in order to have a healthy relationship with us. So this is an important part. So you can still, God can still have his sovereignty, his ultimate power, and can do whatever he wants to do, but he chooses exercising his free will to set up boundaries that we don't totally uh, understand or, or, or have not been completely articulated to us. So there's some mystery in God's boundaries, why he chooses to do something and why he doesn't choose to do something. But the point is that he has created boundaries for himself. And this is part of his uh, sovereignty. God is sovereign, but he has chosen, chosen to act within boundaries that he sets up for himself. Uh, with this in mind, I would assert like, think about it, like any relationship that is uh, forced against the will of, of one of the participants is not going to be rooted in love. If you are forced to do something and you will not, you do not affirm that or don't have the opportunity to choose to affirm that, uh, the idea of, of love is really going to be uh, not a part of that experience. I mean, you think of 1 Corinthians like 13 where the Apostle Paul talks about love and, and all the elements of it. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it doesn't force itself on others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but was, rejoices with the truth. Love and having a choice go hand in hand. And so God keeps his boundaries in the context of the, the free will argument, he keeps his boundaries, not forcing himself uh, on us, uh, but calls us into relationship in which we can choose to be in or not in. Now, the implication, I think, for prayer, since that's our subject today, is, is, is maybe obvious, but maybe not. Like, uh, prayer is one way that God gives his kids the ability to ask permission for God to be engaged in our, in, in our experience. Right, so if God has set himself up with boundaries, and he's like, I'm not going to just force myself into a relationship, or I'm not going to force myself into an action with my kids, with my beings, then, then, well, but we want sometimes God to be involved in our experience, 
So God has to give us the ability to, to ask for, for, for permission, and there is prayer. Prayer is, in essence, us having the opportunity to say, God, please, please, I know you want to keep the boundaries, but I am exercising my free will to ask you to be engaged with me in this experience. I need you. I need your help. And then God is freed to, to act, to, to be engaged with us. So keeping the boundaries, appropriate, but when we ask, he is able to, to answer and to uh, respond. Now, I mean, I think that this makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I think about, like, my relationship with my kids, right? So some of them are here. I see Susanna. So I have a four-year-old, I have a nine-year-old, and I have an 11-year-old. And so, especially at the beginning, as a parent, you have a lot of sovereignty over your, your children. You know, when, when, when you bring a, a newborn home from the, from the doctor, from the, 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 the hospital, you have a lot of sovereignty on where that child goes, what that child does. I mean, yes, they can complain and they can cry and they can be upset, but ultimately the parent has uh, control, has, has sovereign control on what, on what happens, where they go, what they do, when they eat, when they don't eat, and so on. As a, as a child develops... Uh, the parent, a wise parent, will start to exercise that sovereignty in different ways by allowing the, the, the child some autonomy, right? So, you know, a four-year-old is going to have less autonomy than a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old. And uh, so in many respects, this is like the same way it works with, with God. Like, God wants a relationship with us. I want a relationship with my, my kids, if I am always exercising control over my children, sometimes that's necessary, especially as they're, they're younger. But, but as they grow older, I have to start uh, creating boundaries for myself. I can't just interject myself into their experience. We have a, we have a pretty strict uh, only hug if you want a hug policy. Now, there are some times when I come home after a long day and I am looking forward to a hug from, from the kitties. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, but you know what I do not do? I do not say, you better get your butt over here and give me a hug. Um, I mean, I might do that jokingly, but if they're like not in hug mood, they have, they have that ability. They have the free will to say, no hug today, daddy. Uh, that's, just, that's just the way the worst. Why? I mean, could I, could I force myself in a hug relationship with, with, with my kid? Of course you could. How's that going to work for the relationship between you and your child? You get where I'm going here? See, God knows what he's doing. He's inviting us into a relationship. He could make us all just robots and that we had to do whatever he says, but that's not the kind of relationship God wants with us. He wants a relationship in which we want to be connected with him. Levi, do you need help with whatever project that you're, you're working on, 11-year-old Levi? Um, you know, I could just take over. He's doing math problems. They're not doing them right. Get out of the way. Let me, let me just do the math problems uh, for you, but that's not going to work. It's not going to help him. It's not going to help me. It's going to affect our relationship. By the way, some of, some of you parents, you've got to remember this. It's tough. As your kids get older, you start have to create the boundaries for, your, for yourself. You want to still keep controlling them. You want them to do, because you know what's, you, you think you know what is right for them, and so you want to exercise your power, and you want to take care of them, because you love them, but you got to create boundaries. 
right? You've got to let them have autonomy more and more and more as they get older and older. I mean, I know some parents, their kids are 30 years old. You've got to give it up. You know, you've got to get, get, let them have their autonomy. Are they going to mess up? Let me tell you what, free will is messy. It's very annoying, too. Especially if you're the one who had sovereignty at one time, or you have the capability to be sovereign and to control things, and then to kind of let them go and do their thing, and you know that they are going to mess it up somehow. And it would be so much easier to just step in and say, let me take care of this, or let me control you so you do it this way. Uh, I mean, that seems like it would be easy, but that will destroy a relationship, right? You have to have boundaries. You have to let uh, autonomy happen as, as a person grows. And so God understands this, right? There's got to be boundaries. There's got to be some autonomy for a relationship to be healthy and whole and for love to truly exist. And so God sets up these boundaries for himself. So prayer is our opportunity then to request that the God who is sovereign, who has all power in the universe, get involved. It's our invitation for God to be involved in our experience. To, to, to use his power in, in an expression of our own free will so that we can see God work and, and be active in our experience. Free will. Relationship. Uh, love. All part of this journey and it helps to us to have, better, have a better understanding on what is going on in prayer. And so, you know, what is prayer? Uh, prayer permits God, who is radically committed to free will, to act on our behalf. Uh, prayer helps us to understand our connection and dependence on uh, God. It helps us to understand our relationship God, with God and our needs, needs and to see our own limitations. I mean, if you are growing and becoming mature, you recognize that there are some things you just can't do, and it's in, in those moments, unfortunately, it's oftentimes in those moments when things are like dramatically out of control, that we recognize that we do need something outside of ourselves, that we do need God to be involved in our experience. And, and, and then prayer, according to uh, Jesus, binds us together as a community. You know, we're, starting, we're, we're trying to think about what the implications are of the first century church being devoted to prayer, what that means for us today. And so Jesus is very clear, like, prayer uh, is not something that just happens individually, but it's does, designed for the community to do uh, together. And so prayer ties us together. Prayer is not a means of convincing God that something needs to be uh, done. We're not talking God into something that he doesn't want to do. It's inviting God to do something as an expression of our free will and our experience so that he can act and, and uh, with the boundaries that he's set up for himself. Uh, prayer, of course, doesn't ensure that what we want done will happen in exactly the way that we want it to happen either. So we need to understand that. And prayer is certainly not uh, formulaic. Your method about praying does not uh, affect the outcome of the a prayer any more than, like, if my child came to me and said, uh, you know, I need this thing to happen, or, you know, hey, Daddy, I'm hungry today. I'm like, well, you, you know, you didn't fill out the form that I set up for, you know, the meals to be served at the appropriate time, so go back, reread the form, fill it out again, and once it's filled out, then I will serve you dinner tonight properly. You know, sometimes though we treat prayer like this. If we don't do it in exactly this order or exactly this way, uh, then God is not going to act. And so we're like very concerned that we say these words and, and start with this and end with, with this. But that's not, how it, that's not how it works, right? 
Uh, God is wanting to work on our behalf, and so sometimes we jumble it together. In fact, he says, he says like, sometimes you don't even know what to pray, pray for, but just the fact that you're praying, I can interpret what you need, and then I can get involved and engaged, right? So just do it, pray, then I know that you're expressing your free will, asking me to be involved, and I'll do what needs to be done. You, I'll take care of the interpretation. You just do the prayer, then I can be engaged, right? So it, prayer is not about a formula. Now, so the newborn church, they were very into prayer. They were devoted to it, which means that they were laser-focused on prayer and the experience. That's what we're told, right? It was a big deal. They exercised their free will. They saw, saw God working in incredible ways. If you go back in Acts, we've been focusing on Acts 2, 42 to 47. You, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, you see what happens when a community comes together and is devoted to pray, prayer together. They have all kinds of amazing things happen. You can read that on your own. But So they were devoted. They were laser-focused. Now, we're thinking about our community here in 2019, Church of the Advent Hope. Um, you know, I think most of us, if you've been around church, you know that the idea of prayer is, uh, is important. It's something that the church has been promoting for thousands of years. This is not something uh, new. And we, we, you're even familiar with the New Testament church and how important prayer was as a part of it. Uh, but the reality is that for our community here and, and communities, quite frankly, across the world, really being devoted as a community to prayer is, can be challenging. I mean, if we think of our own Advent Hope experience, the idea that we are, as a community, devoted to prayer, don't get me wrong. We have some people who are very devoted to prayer. In fact, we have a prayer team. And I, I would assert that they are as devoted as anybody's going to be to prayer. In fact, sometimes you'll see them, Kyle will tell about how you can get involved in the prayer team. At the end of the service, they run. Some of them will jump out over the, the pew, run so that they can come up here. We have to get the screen up fast enough so that they can get through here, and they're going to pray after the, the, the worship service. You're welcome to join them, by the way. It's a, it's a great time together right here after the service. And, and we have some prayer team members who are really dedicated to prayer. But the Acts 2 model is like the church as a whole, the community as a whole, was committed and devoted to prayer, not just a, a particular group. So we're thankful for our prayer group. And by the way, we're going to be hearing from them and Helen next week for the Thanksgiving holidays. Some of you are going to be around, and we're going to hear from our prayer team, and they're going to lead us in, in, in some worship next week. So we're excited about that. But Acts 2 is talking about an entire community that are both involved individually and as a community in devotion to uh, prayer. And as I think of our own experience, I would love to say that about Avon Hope, but the truth is, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily the case. And so that leaves us with a question, like, what, what's going on? Like, why is it so difficult to have the devotion to prayer that the first century church had? And so I think there are a couple very, very uh, quick responses to that. Uh, first of all, well, what's so difficult about actually having devotion and prayer as a community, that as a community, historically, not just Avon Hope, but the church as a whole, uh, we treat prayer too formally. We talked about the formulaic response to prayer, but we treat uh, prayer too formally. You know, if every time you pray, you feel like it has to be the benevolent God of creation past, you know, you have that, that prayer that, that, you know, the elder from 1984 prayed that was just so, like, 
formulaic, but so, you know, uh, the wording was right and everything was good, and so we feel like even in our personal prayer, we have to pray, like, extravagantly with flowery language, um, and that's the only way that our prayers are going to, to work. This is the, the formula. And so we, we often treat prayer too formally. Um, formal, formality is an inhibitor to joy, I would make the case, the joy as a whole. Uh, think about what Jesus said. This is Matthew chapter 6. He says, uh, when you pray, he's talking about to his disciples now, because Jesus was very big on teaching his disciples about prayer. So this subject is a huge issue for him. Yeah, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. In another place, he says they like to be, they like to dress up and they like everybody to look at them and see them and see their formulae prayers and how well they've been memorized and how great they look. He says, don't pray like that, standing on the street corners to be seen by others. In fact, I tell you, rather than then pray like that. Go into your closet and pray where nobody will see you so your prayers are not about what other people think of you, but your prayers are really about communicating with God. He said, then he says, and when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. So this is the cool idea. So God knows what he needs, but he restrains himself. You know, if he knows that what we need, why doesn't he just act? Free will. He knows what he needs, but he restrains himself until we ask. Uh, but then Jesus is like, don't go just praying and babbling on with these formulaic prayers uh, like the pagans do. By the way, we sometimes think of pagans as, as the irreligious. Uh, this is not the case. Jesus is saying the pagans are praying. So they are, they are, are, they're, they are spiritual of some level. They have some kind of religious framework that we're, we're, they're working on. But Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't use those formulaic uh, uh, prayers. Don't just babble on repeating uh, many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so the idea of, of being formulaic is a, a problem. You know, I mean, sometimes being formal is nice. Like if you're invited to go to a gala of some sort. I don't know, maybe you're going to the, the Met Gala. And if you get an invitation to the Met Gala, you are going to be, you're going to formulate, form, formalize yourself, right? Is that right? You're, you're, going to get the, you're going to get the suit on. You're going to go talk to Derek, and he's going to tell you how to dress, and you're going to get it all looking good, and you're going to get the right thing to wear, and you're going to go to that gala, and you're going to be there for about an hour, and you know what you're going to think of after an hour? I wish I was in my pajamas. Because the formality does not does not necessarily, and, and maybe it, it, it necessarily is, it, it inhibits joy. Like when you're, you're over-formalized, like it's nice, and sometimes it has to be done, and we, and we like that, and I, I like wearing a suit as much as the next person, but there, at some point, when you really want to experience joy, you want to be in the sweatpants. And, and, and so when you're at the gala, you're thinking, if I only, I, you know, and I can't wait till I get home, and I can get more comfortable, and so God's invitation is that he wants us to enjoy prayer, and when it's formulaic, joy is killed, and we don't want to do it. And so we don't do it. We don't do it, because we think that it's only this formulaic thing. Okay, so that's, that's number one. Secondly, as a community, we have a difficult time being devoted to prayer because the community so seldom is together. Like we talked about this last week, we are not together that much. In Acts 2, again, that, that 
that model for us. It says that every day, the community of faith uh, met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. Uh, and they had glad and sincere hearts because they enjoyed being around each other. And they praised God because of all the favor that everybody heaped on them because they were, they were, they were appreciated. All right? And so they were together often. We have a challenge here. Like, you know, we'll be together for an hour and a half. Some of you, some of you will be bold enough as well you should, to stick around for our kids' program this afternoon, which is going to be fabulous. Kyle's going to talk about it later. And then we've got game night. There's a lot of things going on today. Some of you might stick around for that. But the truth is, the truth is we're not together that often. Many of you are going to leave. We live all over the city, if not all, all over the region. Some of you are from Connecticut and New Jersey and, 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 and Brooklyn and all over the place. And so we're not together that much. And this is an inhibitor for us to be praying together as a community, to be a community that is, is full of prayer. And so that's, this is a challenge. It's a challenge. Finally, finally, uh, we are inhibited in being a community that's devoted to prayer because uh, many of us don't believe that prayer actually works. Now, we would, we would never admit that uh, consciously. Uh, but but subconsciously, maybe you would. Maybe you're comfortable admitting that. And even if you wouldn't say that, the reality is most of us, many of us act that way. Like, we're not sure that prayer really works, you know, because, you know, we prayed for Grandma that one time and she did not get better. Or, you know, we read, seek and, and, and you will find, and we sought and something that we were anticipating wasn't found, and we're like, well, this thing doesn't really work. So we still come and do it, like, in the worship service, and we know that we should be doing it. Uh, more, more often, or we think that we should, but we're really not that convinced that it's really that uh, effective. So, this reminded me of Luke chapter 18. Um, this is Jesus, because again, he cared about this subject very much. So, he was, he, this is Jesus again, this Luke 18, verse 20. It says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that sh- they should always pray and not give up. So, he knew this was an issue, like people were going to get dis- disappointed and, and, uh, with prayer and, and want to give it up. And so he said, In a certain town there was a judge who knew that neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with this plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time the judge refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. You've got to love this, this, this judge of, of Jesus' parable. Like the, the judge is, is unethical, has no ethics at, at all. In fact, it's, the final determination is I'm going to help this woman, this widow, not because she really needs help and I've been convicted of that, but she might attack me. And then Jesus said, uh, listen to what the unjust judge says. I tell you, he will see that they get justice. Or, uh, uh, listen to what the unjust uh, judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
Jesus was like, the, the issue is like faith. Will people continue to believe that God is capable of doing what only God can do? And that is the issue. Like, do we really believe that God is going to follow through with his promises about prayer? And I think the evidence is, like, again, even if it's subconsciously, many of us have kind of given up on prayer. Like, it's not really that effective. I mean, if we really believed that prayer got done, what Jesus promises that it gets done, we would be praying more, wouldn't we? I mean, if you really believed that when you prayed, things happen, why would you not pray? Jesus is like, don't give up. Even if it, it, it feels like things aren't, aren't coming through because prayers get answered in ways that you don't even imagine, and so don't give up uh, praying. And he gives this great, this great parable of the unjust uh, judge. Uh, keep at it. But many of us have given up because we're just we're not convinced that it does anything. And so we're challenged as a community, a community that, you know, having hope. We want to we we be a church that is vibrant and has things happening in it. We want to see uh, growth happening, and, and yet praying is difficult. It's a challenge for us. And so what, what hope then do we have? How do we overcome these inabilities that we have as a uh, community? How does the passion of our prayer group transcend them and, and, and be a part of the entire community? Well, it starts with what Jesus has already done. In John chapter 17, we have Jesus himself praying for the church. Jesus cared so much for the church that he prayed for the church before the church was even what it is today. This is John chapter 17. He's already prayed for himself. He's prayed for his disciples. It's just before he's about to be crucified himself. And he says, my prayer is not for my close disciples here alone. I pray also for all of those who believe in me through their message. So he's saying anyone, whoever in human history is willing to embrace the work of, of him on, on, on our behalf, whoever's willing to do that is being prayed for right here by, by Jesus. I pray also for the, all who believe in me through their message, through the message of, of the disciples, that all of them may be one. Again, into the, into the idea that we are all together, that we are all one in this thing. Father, Jesus continues, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they, the church, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed for the church. Jesus knew how to pray. He was passionate about praying for the community of believers. When, when our passion is, is low, Jesus' passion has always been high for us. But Jesus is not just an example of how, how to pray and hasn't just prayed uh, for us. Jesus has done work for us that empowers our ability to uh, pray. In James, the Apostle James writes this, If anyone confesses your sins to each other and prays for each other, you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The good news is that Jesus is a righteous person, and Jesus has prayed for us, and because Jesus has prayed for us, and as a righteous person, his prayer is powerful and effective to do great things for us. But again, not just an example, uh, his work of life, death, resurrection, and ascension uh, gives us power so that when we pray, we can pray. In Hebrews chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul says this about the subject of prayer. He says, uh, we have, and he's using a, a metaphor from the Old Testament, right? So he says, we have a great high priest. He's talking about Jesus. We have a great high priest who is now ascended to heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, 
But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet didn't sin. And then here's the, here's the key for prayer. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Paul is saying that because Jesus lived, died, rose again, and ascended, we can now have confidence that when we pray, we are going right to God's throne. I know that's a, 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 a metaphor, the, the idea of a throne and a king that we don't really resonate with, but you get the idea. Like you have direct access to the sovereign of the universe when you, when you pray, and this is all because of the work of Jesus who lived, died, rose again, and ascended. And so Jesus has prayed for us. He's prayed for you in John chapter 17, but he didn't just pray for you. He acted on our behalf so that we now have the power to be transformed in our own prayer experience, both as individuals and as a community. And so when we look at our current state and say, well, I wish that we were more vibrant as a community in, in prayer, we can take heart that as we continue to embrace Jesus' work on our behalf, God can make us into the kind of community that he wants us to be and ultimately that we want to be, a community that is vibrant, that is known for being transformative because God's Spirit is alive and well and working in us. And so as we come to the conclusion of this uh, journey together, looking back at the Acts chapter 2 uh, church to try to see what implications there are for us today, today it's very clear, like God is calling us to be devoted to prayer, but it's challenging for all the reasons that we've mentioned, but because Jesus has done what we are unable to do, as we continue to express faith in him, he is able to build in us that which we don't have on our own, including a love, a desire, and a capacity for more prayer, individually and as a community. And so next week, we're going we're gonna to exercise this together as we come again together. Thankful for Helen and the prayer team. They're going to lead us in a great time together. They're going to lead us this afternoon. We want to see what God is going to do as he... he opens himself to us as we express our free will and invite him to do what only he can do. May God do that within us today. Amen.